Over the last six weeks, we've been in a series called Altars of Prayer, and we've been looking at different aspects of prayer and how important it is in our life. And today, the topic of this message is the altar and our protection. The altar and our protection. We, I recognize today as Super Bowl Sunday. I've seen some of you wearing different jerseys, and uh, we are a split congregation as it relates to some of us just don't care. We just want the food and the good commercials. But uh, it will be an interesting day one way or the other. But not only is this a Super Bowl Sunday, I was watching the news Friday night and recognized that there are some of you that are basketball fans, and, and this is basketball playoff time, particularly for our high schools. Then there were those of us that you can obviously see by my height. Basketball was not my sport. I was a wrestler. And as a result of that, I wrestled for 12 years. And so when my son was born, he had no chance. From the time that he could get on all fours, I'm wrestling around the room with him. And Cindy's going, be careful, be careful. I said, we're not raising a wimp. We're this boy, you know. So teaching him wrestling moves and, you know, breaking things and blaming it on our daughter and, you know, just all the little things that, that parents do as you're working through things. And, and so when my son got to second grade, you know, obviously he by then knew a lot of moves and began to wrestle. So this season of the year when I get to early February, it reminds me that this is wrestling playoff time. And so for those of you that are wrestlers, you recognize that this is the time when you start having class tournaments, getting ready for state tournaments. And it reminded me of a number of years ago when my son was a senior in high school. And because we are not big people, we wrestled in the low weight categories. And so Keith as a senior has, had lost all that weight. It's the night before the class tournament. He couldn't eat so that he could make weight the next morning. Don't know about you, but when he goes 24 hours without eating, he gets hangry. There's just this hunger and anger. Any of you ever experienced that? A bunch of you. Okay. And you're not even wrestlers uh, that I know of. And so he got up that morning and he's just in a general bad mood from being hungry, you know, can't wait to see if he made weight. And, and as he's walking through the gym, he attended Baldwinsville High School, and as he's walking through the gym... One of the advantages of being small people is that most of the people in the low weight categories are really young, like freshmen or eighth graders. And so Keith comes walking by, and there's two young wrestlers that are in his weight category. And, and as he's walking by, I'm sitting in the bleachers, and they, and they said, do you know who that is? That's Keith DeMent. He's in our weight category. His voice has already changed. They said he just got an award for winning his 100th varsity wrestling match. And the other kid's going, I wish he wasn't in our category. I don't want to have to wrestle him first. And Keith kind of overhears this as he's walking by. And so here he is. He's slumped over. He's angry. He's hungry. And then he hears those that he's about to wrestle talking about him. And suddenly he stands up straight. His shoulders go back. Chin comes up in the air. He winks at him, points at him like, I've got you guys. It was amazing to me how your confidence changes when you hear and overhear the opponent what they really think about you. I think it's important for us today as Christians to believe and understand what the enemy of your soul really thinks about you. I think it'll change your countenance when you overhear this Satan and all the cronies of, 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 of Satan and the demonic powers speaking about spirit-empowered Christians, 
What happens and what does he say when he really sees you coming? This doesn't mean that the challenges go away. It means that when you face it, you face it differently. Your stance is different because you recognize that when the enemy sees a daughter or a son of God coming his way, he begins to shake in his boots, not because of you, but because of the Holy Spirit that resides in you, because of the power that resides in you. And when he sees God at work in you, he begins to shake in fear and talks about you and going, do you know who that is? That is a spirit empowered believer. And I'm here to tell somebody today, maybe you're in this room or maybe you're watching online, even if you don't believe what the enemy believes about you, I want you to know that God has declared something about you. And if you don't believe it, you need to know that you face an enemy that does believe great things about you because of the God that lives within you. You see, he knows every single thing that God's word declares to be true about you is absolutely true. The enemy knows that even if you're not convinced about who you are, he knows the God that lives within you. He knows that you've been forgiven. He knows that according to Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He knows that you've been given victory. He knows that you have been made competent by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He knows that there is no shame and no guilt that can bring you down because of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that is at work within you. He knows that you've been forgiven of every sin and all he can do is whisper and remind you of what you were because he knows that you've been made brand new in Jesus Christ. He knows that you've not been given a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. And he knows that in the end, we win and he loses. Satan knows this. So tell me something. What a shame it would be for the enemy to believe more about your potential than you do. What a shame it would be for all of us to leave here with all of this inspiration that's been invested in us in God's Word and walk out of here in fear. What a shame it would be for us to have worshipped Him in spirit and in truth. And by the way, this side over here has a lot of spirit and truth. This side over here, there's room at the altar for you to come and worship too. Just, just notice that this morning. What a shame it would be that we would worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the tragedy would be to walk out of here and still feel as if we are defeated people and don't even know that we have a power that this world desperately needs. So what the enemy will do is he begins to scatter challenges in your way. He begins to throw things in front of you, understanding that if he can rob you of your joy and your peace, then you will become vulnerable and you will lose sight of who God has made you to be. In a little while, you're going to be leaving here. Some of you are going, can you make that happen quicker? Some of you are going, I like it here. I'm going to take my time this morning. But you will be leaving here today. And when you walk out of these doors, after this time of inspiration, after this time of having something invested in you, you better be prepared to live in what is out there. Some of you are going home to challenges of a university campus that will do everything in its power to fight the spirit of the living God within you. Some of you will be leaving here and going home to challenges some of you will have challenges in your relationships and your friendships and your college or your colleagues on the job. And some of you are going to be leaving here this week to go to a foreign country to minister the word of God where the enemy is doing everything in his power to make sure that you're not successful. But greater is he that is within us than he that is within this world. 
So the challenges will be sprawled out in front of you as you leave here. And what the enemy hopes is that the sight of them will cause you to shrink back in so much fear and insecurity that you never engage in being who God has called you to be. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then I hope that you know the enemy cannot destroy you. Let me repeat that. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you need to know the enemy cannot destroy you. He's going to try to do everything in his power, however, for the rest of time so that he can try to just discourage you. And he will distract you so that you will shrink back in fear and insecurity. He doesn't want you to step up and build an altar of protection in prayer because he knows that when you do, he is in deep trouble when you step into who God has called you to be. And so at least as a part to this end, the Apostle Paul gives us a passage of Scripture. This passage has become a lifeline for me. And he writes these words in Ephesians. In fact, if you have your Bibles... Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. And as you're turning to that or as you're looking it up on your, your smart device, let me just set this up for you. If you have never read the book of Ephesians in its entirety, I want to encourage you to do that. Because the Apostle Paul, who gave us most of the New Testament, writes these letters to first century believers that would not only disciple them, it disciples us and it helps us to mature as believers. In the book of Ephesians, Paul spends the first half of the book just rehearsing with each of us who we are as sons and daughters of God. He wants to make sure that you step up and rise to the occasion with some confidence in who God has recreated you to be. You are not who you used to be. You're brand new in Jesus Christ. And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to know something. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Aren't you glad today that you're not like the old man or the old woman that took place before Jesus Christ? You are a son and you are a daughter and you have full rights and all of the privileges that have been granted to you as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul wants you to know all of these things that God has given to you because you've been called according to his choosing. And so he writes in the first and the second and the third chapters about all the treasures that you have. He wants you to know the mercy that has been lavishly displayed and thrown upon you, the grace that He has been given to you. He wants you to know that even though everybody in this world may reject you, that you have been adopted by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you carry with you His name. You are adopted as a son and daughter of God. He wants you to know today, whether you are in this room or whether you're watching online, it does not matter how deep of a pit of sin that you have dug for yourself or how low you are in the hole, that there is the arm of God that can reach you today as he reaches down and he can pull you out of that pit of sin and he can set you on the solid rock of himself and he can guarantee that your eternity will look different than what you could have created for yourself. And he tells us in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, I pray... He bursts out into prayer in the middle of all this. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened or enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. And after going on and on about the lavishness and the richness of the grace and the mercy of God and the greatness of being adopted that has been poured on us and the forgiveness 
that has been granted to us, and he's trying to figure out a way, how do I wrap this up? How do I close this letter so that every reader will know that they are equipped to step up? How do I make sure that what God has given to you is not handed over to the enemy as soon as you walk out this door? And so the Apostle Paul writes these words, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, finally, finally, church, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. In other words, so that you can stand firm. In other words, the enemy wants you to shake in your boots. It's time for him to turn around and realize who you are and shake in his boots. You stand firm against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and and the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces and heavenly realms. Folks, there's a war that's going on that may be unseen to our eyes, but it's taking place in the heavenlies right now. And Paul tells them, therefore, you might as well put down all of the weapons that you've been trying to use that are the weapons of this world because they are not going to work in this warfare. You need something different. You need to take up weapons that actually work with some power in the spiritual realm. And so he says, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand, church, we are commanded, stand firm in who you are in Jesus Christ. And these few verses... The Apostle Paul begins to introduce us to a concept that had, up to this point in time, had not been as overtly described as Paul begins to describe in his letter. He brings up the topic of spiritual warfare, and he says, you have an enemy, and he wants to make sure that you get this message loud and clear. He said there are other places in the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament where we can infer that there is a spiritual battle that is unseen that's going on. But this is the first time that the author comes right out and says this. You have an enemy and he is scheming against you. And when you leave this church in just a little while, you need to know that you have an enemy and that he is against you. He is not for you. He has no regard for you whatsoever. His greatest joy is using you as a tool to hurt the king of kings. He loves you not, and he does not care what happens to you except that you be destroyed. He plans to do everything in his power to stir up challenges in your life, enough to cause you to shrink back and to not rise up and stand firm in the victory that Jesus Christ has won for you. And this is why the apostle Paul tells us to stand firm. Because you have an enemy, and he's an enemy that he wants you to think that just because he's invisible, that he's also fictional. Just because he's invisible, he wants you to think he's also fictional. He wants you to be, to chalk him up as nothing more than a caricature, a cartoon, a myth. He doesn't want you to recognize his influence in and over your life because if you do so, he recognizes that you then will walk in the full expression of God's love, and he wants to frighten you out of that. Let me tell you something. I hate preaching about Satan, but I will tell you this. He is sinister. He is a master illusionist. He is a deceiver. 
He is a liar. There is no truth. Let me repeat that. There is no truth in him. If he says something to you, you can be guaranteeing he's lying. If his lips are moving, he's lying because that's his nature. And he hopes to cleverly disguise himself behind your life's most pressing problems to where you will forget that he even exists. He wants you, in the middle of the challenges that come your way, to begin to point fingers, and you point fingers at him, or you point fingers at her, or you point your finger at your boss, or at your spouse, or at your parents, or at your professors, or at your pastor. He says, if I can get you to pointing fingers at a human, I will have been successful in my journey. Because if I can get you to think that this is flesh and blood, then you will direct all the wrong weapons at the wrong culprit. Some of us get to the point where we think, you know what, if I just had more money, I wouldn't be facing the challenges that I have right now. If I, if I just could rationalize this, I just need to sit down and think my way through this problem so that I can work this out on my own, my own logic or, or, or some of them, if I just had more connections at work, if I just had this or if I just had that, none of the challenges that I'm facing right now would, would affect me, it would make it all better because he wants you to understand that he wants you to think he's fictional and that he's not at work. And Paul says this, anything natural cannot be a weapon against things that are supernatural. And when your problem is unseen, and when your problems are spiritual, you need weapons that will work in that realm, and they are not natural. So the apostle says, first of all, you have to know that your enemy is not the person sitting next to you. Your enemy is not the person that you're living with. Your enemy is not the person that you go to school with. Your enemy is not the person that's giving you the hardest time. Your real enemy is unseen and hoping that you will forget he's there. He is a master deceiver. One of the things that I enjoy the most about going and watching our students at the National Fine Arts Festival is that we get to go to these massive convention centers where there's hundreds of churches and thousands of students that, that get to go to these things. And, and one of the most enjoyable things is... is these kids will practice anywhere, anytime. And so you're literally walking down the hallways of the convention center, and all of our kids that have been in fine arts are all nodding their heads because they know exactly what I'm talking about. And you are literally going through a plethora of displays of people that are practicing and singing, and you've got all this music. It's just all over the place. And, and I remember one time recently where one of the divisions in fine arts is puppetry. And so... I don't know how big the church was that these kids had come from, but they picked out this little corner in the, in the side and they, they put their PVC pipe together and they hung these sheets over the top and, and, you know, four kids got around behind that thing and the director's out in front of it and, you know, you're just walking through all of this and, and for whatever reason I stopped to watch this and, and this was a two-tiered one. So there's this little place where, you know, people are bent down the front and then there's a place behind it. And, and whatever happened, but one, one of the individuals that was behind the highest part stepped on the sheet. And as, as he did so, it put pressure on the sheet, which put pressure on the PVC pipe and it pulled it out. And the side fell over, and then the weight of the rest of the thing went whoop and flipped up in the air. And here's this huge crowd of people, and here are four teenagers with puppets on their hands going. <laughs> we all got a good laugh. 
we all got a good lesson. There is always something you can't see influencing what you can. There's always something you can't see influencing what you can. And so Paul tells the church, as you're building an altar of protection, one of the things that we're doing is we are pulling back the curtain and we're letting the enemy know, we've got our eyes on you, Satan, and we have some weapons that are actually going to work, that are going to work behind the curtain in the unseen realm where nobody thinks anything is happening. And Paul wants you to know the tactics of the enemy are serious business, and so he uses a word to describe them. He uses the word scheme. Satan's schemes. For those of you taking notes, this is the first point, and some of you are going, are you kidding me? You just spent 25 minutes on the introduction? Yep, I did. My points won't be as long as the introduction. Satan's scheme. Listen, the enemy knows your weakness. He knows just what temptation to dangle in front of you at just the right time so that he can snag you in particular. Have you ever found it to be the least bit curious that when you are in moments when you are most tired, in moments when you are most vulnerable, in moments when you may be the angriest, in moments when you may be the most weak, that suddenly that temptation from the enemy shows up right in front of your face? And it might be a temptation that wouldn't bother your friends because they're not tempted by the same things that you are. That's not their thing. That's not his thing or her thing. But it entices you and it shows up just when you are most vulnerable to it. Folks, that's not coincidence. That's a scheme. That's a scheme of the enemy. And the enemy is trying to derail you and is trying to make sure that you do not walk in a manner that is worthy of the pleasing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to you, listen, it's okay for you to come to church. I'll allow that. What I don't want you to do is walk out of there with a purpose to live for God with all of your strength. Walk out and just say, hey, that was a good time together. The singing was good. The preaching was interesting. But don't leave with something that is planted within you. He's trying to trip you up, not only for his benefit, but because he doesn't want you to have access to the tools of the kingdom that will destroy his kingdom through you. Don't you wish that we had spiritual alerts like we get on our phone? I think it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe, maybe longer than that, I can't remember for sure, when everybody's phone alert went off at the same time. I think it was the first service. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I mean, I don't know whether it was an amber alert or something, but suddenly this alert goes off and every phone, whether they were on or off, went off across the room. Do you know that on my phone, if a number calls me and I'm not familiar with it or it shows up, I will have a scrolling thing that says scam alert. Do any of you have that on yours? Now, I have discovered that just because it says scam alert doesn't mean that every one of those numbers is a scam, so you still have to answer it. But I had a conversation with a police officer once who told me, he says, listen, these computers are set up to respond that when you answer the phone, we all say hello, and as soon as they hear that word, the computer kicks in. He said, so here's the way you mess with that. When you answer the phone, say good morning or good afternoon or good evening, and it doesn't kick the computer off because it's not built to recognize that. And if there's any length of time between the time when you say good morning and then you know it's a computer and you can hang up. By the way, if you call me and I don't know your number, you better speak fast <laughs> or I'll hang up on you. 
So we have these alerts on our phones. We have alerts on our TV. They all come up, you know, once a month and tells you that there's this, you know, broadcasting system thing, and you're going, not now, wait till a show I don't want to watch to do that, you know. But we have these alerts, and, and somehow we think, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have these spiritual alerts that let us know, hey, you're about to be schemed. The enemy is trying to do so. We do. We do. It's called the discernment of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit begins to speak to you and say, don't, don't, don't answer that call. Don't reach out for that carrot that's being dangled in front of you. I know that you're weak right now. I know you're a little upset. I know that this has not been a good week, but don't you dare give him a place in your life. Resist him. Resist this. And the discernment of the Holy Spirit that resides within us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ sets off the alerts within our life. So if Satan has tactics, we need tactics. And our first tactic is the altar of protection. Paul outlines some of these things for us, and I'm just going to read them. Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. He mentions first the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted for the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In other words, if you're going to walk with the gospel somewhere, you need shoes that are going to help you get there, filled with the power and the Spirit of God. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith because I can guarantee you if the enemy can't get close to you, he'll just sit back with a, with a bow and shoot fiery darts at you trying to distract you and trying to wound you and trying to harm you. You're going to need a shield of faith to put those babies out when they come flying in. And then, because he's going to try to build strongholds in your mind, you need to erect protection around your head, and you need to take the helmet of salvation. And Paul says, then, you're going to need a dagger. You're going to need a sword of the Word of God. And interesting enough, that word sword is like described as like an 18-inch dagger. Sometimes Satan gets right in your face, and you need something just to puncture him. Get back, you lousy. What is it that we use in those moments? I'm standing on the Word of God. Satan, do you know who you're fooling with? I am filled with the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But folks, Paul doesn't just stop at six. I, I recognize traditionally they're taught as that there's six, but I really believe that there's a seventh piece of armor that we desperately need. And we find it in verse 18 because he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions in all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Now, you need to know that next week I'm going to be preaching on the altar of power and we're going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Spirit-empowered people. And I know that some of you come from a background going, I, I don't know anything about that. Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to teach on it scripturally. We're going to take the fear away from it but there is a heavenly language that God gives to us that becomes the evidence of a power that is at use for us so that we can fight in the heavenly realm. And so we're going to talk about that next week, and we're going to be praying with a number of people at the end of the service for that. But Paul tells us, pray in all kinds of prayers. Pray all these different things. Build an altar for all of the occasions and all kinds of prayers with all kinds of requests. Listen, this isn't the kind of prayer that he's talking about that when you go to McDonald's and you're surrounded by people going, Lord, just bless the nuggets. Just... And I'm closing one eye. 
keep me from eating bad ketchup today, God. And this, you know, he's, he's talking here about a different, a different attitude of prayer than that. He's, he's saying, listen, you cannot have the victory if you don't pray. I want you just to think about that statement for a minute because some of you today, you are battling and the victory has been out of your reach and you may not have even known it till this very minute. The reason the victory has been out of reach is because you've never built an altar of protection and begin to seek the Lord for the weaponry that you need to fight in this battle. Prayer is the key that unlocks the resources of heaven. Prayer is the portal by which the supernatural is pulled into the natural. Prayer is the key that gets all the good stuff that heaven has down into our lives here. And I want you to know any bits of heaven that God wants to give me on earth, I want it right now. And prayer makes accessible all of the things of heaven to us here on earth. And prayer, prayer is what pushes back the kingdom of God. Folks, the church needs to be praying that we shove back the kingdom of darkness and everything that is taking place around us. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 21, 13, it is written, my house shall be called a house of good preaching. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say my house shall be called a house of good singing. He doesn't say it's, my house shall be called a, a house of great online production. He doesn't even say that my house should be called a house of friendly people welcoming you home. I hope that we have all of that. But Jesus said, my house better be called a house of prayer because that is the only thing that matters because spotlights and big screens and great music and good preaching won't necessarily push the kingdom of darkness back. But he did say that when my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. The enemy's... Schemes are destroyed when the church begins to pray and his kingdom is shoved backwards when God's people build an altar of protection and start to pray. There's this really interesting line in that verse that I just read. Talking about God's people, he says this, when they turn from their wicked ways. We've always assumed that that just meant unbelievers. Let me tell you something. He's speaking to Christians here about compromised lives. And I'd like to highlight in this last point something that I believe is a weapon to help us out, and that is the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 14 says, put the breastplate of righteousness on in its place. Say this word with me, righteousness. For years, I directed youth camps and kids camps for our network. And just about every campground that we went to, that we rented, there was either a lake or a pond or something where the kids could either swim in it or they could boat in it and catch little fish and stuff. And, and I discovered something, that at the end of the day, you would drag those little rowboats up on the shore and you'd turn them over and you'd pull them into the grass. And, and it didn't take very long to discover that you wanted to be careful the next day when you turn those things back over. Because invariably, you would reach for it and you'd start to lift that thing up and something would come hopping out or something would come waddling out, or my least favorite, something would come slithering out. It fascinated me. I never had to send an invitation to the creatures of the woods. They came naturally because there was an environment that was created in an overturned boat that created something that was damp and warm, created an environment, and it did not take those animals very long to find that. 
Didn't need an invitation. Let me tell you something. Righteousness is right-side-up living that invites the sunlight of God's favor and blessing into your life. Lord, here's my life. I'm turning it right-side-up so that you can have access to it. Unrighteousness is upside-down behavior that is out of alignment with the truth of God. And when you are living with behavior that is out of alignment with God's Word, you don't have to invite the enemy to come and mess with you. He will find the environment and he will fester there, and he will settle in there because you've created that environment by unrighteous living in the upside-down way in which you live. That is invitation enough. And you can pray against the enemy until you're blue in the face, but if you do not walk in holiness, if you do not live a lifestyle that aligns with God's truth, you will have wasted your breath in prayer, hoping for victory when you've created the atmosphere in your own life. So Paul says this to the church, Somebody's got to live right here. It is flat out, straight up holiness that I'm talking about. Now, I grew up in the church, and this was a word that my mom and dad would use, and this is a word my grandparents would use, and, and this is a word that we don't hear very often today, but I'm old, so I'm going to use it anyway. We are still called to holiness. In this world of tolerance and cancel culture and easily offended people, I just want to remind you that the God of the Bible is a God who invites every person in the world to come as you are, but I won't let you leave as you came. Come as you are, but when you intersect my grace, you will not stay the same as the way that you came because I am a renewing God. I'm a regenerating God. I'm a changing God. I'll make you brand new. You'll not be the way that you used to be. Holiness. I reminded you of a scripture I used last week in, Re in Romans 12.1. Brothers and sisters, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Colossians 1.10, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. This is holiness, church. It's righteousness. So align your lifestyle to every bit of the truth of God's Word. Dig your heels in and stand firm against an enemy that wants you to live a compromised life, a morally compromised life, an ethically compromised life, or a lazy spiritual life. He's saying, get up and build an altar of your protection and put on the armor of God and stand firm in that. And say, enemy, you don't belong. You do not belong because I'm a child of the living God. So turn the boat over so that you can invite the favor of God into your life. And Paul says, it's a breastplate of righteousness. The Roman army in the first century had many pieces of armor, as you know. But the breastplate would have been one of the most important because it covered the heart. We all know that the heart is the lifeline for our physical well-being, the blood flow, the vitality, the energy that you need is supported by the heart. And what the physical heart is to the physical life, so the spiritual heart is to the spiritual life. And all of the vitality and all of the energy that we need to be who God created us to be, to have clear reception between you and the Holy Spirit so that you can hear His voice speaking, you need to do so that you can protect your spiritual heart. Because if I were your enemy... More than anything else, I'd be after your spiritual heart. 
Because one shot to your spiritual heart will wipe you out. And your spiritual heart is comprised of these four things. Your mind, the way that you think. Your emotions, the way that you feel. Your ambitions, what it is that you purpose to do. And your conscience. And your conscience is not the voice of God, but it's a lot like the wiring of my microphone that connects to a battery pack that receives something that then allows my voice to be magnified. Your conscience is the wiring that allows the voice of the Spirit of God to be magnified into your life. And, and in the moment when it becomes magnified and you hear the voice of God giving you directions, you have a choice to make. You either submit yourself to what God is saying or you reject that. I have sat with people in my office that have come to this church, some of them, as new people. I sat with one family in particular and they said, listen, we really like the people here, we like the music here, we like the way you preach, but we don't believe in one of the stances that you have as a fundamental truth. And I asked them this question. I said, do you choose a church based on what you already believe? Or do you read the Bible and let God choose for you how to bring your beliefs into alignment? And they said, it is easier for us in our current situation to choose our own beliefs. And they walked out. Folks, the Spirit of, the God, Spirit of God, it wasn't that He wasn't speaking to them. It was just that they chose in hearing the microphone of the Spirit to say, that's not the easiest way for us to live. So we'll go someplace else that will tell us what we want to hear. So if I were your enemy, I'd be after your heart. Worship team, please come. Because if I can get to your heart, I have automatic access to your mind. And if I have access to your mind, I can tinker with the way you think. And if I have access to your heart, then your emotions are mine. And I can begin to mess with them and make the way that you feel and turn that into a doctrinal stance. Well, this is the way I feel. Have we not heard that so many times? If you have access to the heart, you have access to the emotions. If he has access to the heart, then he can mess with your ambitions. Some of you are running from what God has created you to do. Some of you live in such fear that whatever it is that God has created you to do and what He's calling you to do, you're in such fear that it doesn't fit with what you want, that you think He's robbing you. I want you to know that any ambition that has lived outside the will of God when you come to know Him will leave you unfulfilled. And more than anything else, the enemy wants to short-circuit the wires between you and the magnifying voice of the Holy Spirit. Because if he can get you where you can't hear God anymore, then you will never know the protection of the breastplate of righteousness. And you will never make an altar for your protection. Holiness is your breastplate. Holiness blocks you from a full frontal attack. Holiness keeps the enemy at bay when he comes looking for people who have an upside-down environment that he can fester in. And if you turn the boat over, he won't be able to find it with you because we will have chosen right-side-up living. Righteousness secures us against the schemes of the enemy. And the way that we're going to close today is this. We're going to sing that song worthy of it all. 
And I want to just invite you. I, I know that it's, it's full and you're never going to be able to get But I, first of all, would you stand with me today? The altar of protection starts with the recognition of His worthiness and His holiness. Now, our youth and our young adults have made it a practice the last few weeks to come during worship and come right up because they don't want to do something at a retreat that they won't do in their home church. It's an honoring thing. I want to honor the Lord. I want to engage in worship. And and we're going to sing this song once or twice. But I want to invite you to come, particularly if you are in a place where there's been a lot of warfare going on in your life and and there's been a battle for your mind and a battle for your will. Then I want you to come as a a point of just, Lord, I am responding to you today because I want want the willingness of my heart to intersect the, the power of your presence.